when my good friend Steve in high school had a paper route in our town in Freeport, Illinois. Sometimes I would help him. On his paper route was my uncle's house, my dad's brother, on Birchard Avenue in Freeport, Illinois. I can remember one time when I was very young, like, like five years old, going over to his house. My uncle was a wounded World War II vet. Part of his skull was dented in. That's something a five-year-old, you know, always remembers. But I never went to his house again, at least not on the inside. Shortly after uh, this memory I shared of being at his house, something happened in our lives. My mom and my dad divorced. And both my mom and dad remarried pretty quickly. Uh, my, my mom married my stepdad, and my dad married Ada, whom he stayed married to till his death. Ada was from Alabama. I ate things like collard greens, chitlins. That's pretty, you're pretty bold as a boy to eat some chitlins. And some of the best stuffing that you've ever had. Well, as soon as my dad married Ada, my uncle never talked to my dad again. He never talked to his brother again. Why? Because Ada was black. On my friend's paper route, I helped deliver the paper to my uncle, who wanted nothing to do with my dad and his family, because my dad had married an African American woman. Prejudice is real, and it's really wrong. It's sinful. In our VBS this year, in VBS, we tackle the positive truth that combats the sin of racism, the truth that we are all one race and one family. You heard that right. In VBS, we taught important, substantive, relative, relevant truth to our times. In VBS this year, we taught that all children are equally part of the human race, our one race. The theme of the Incredible Race VBS was one family, one race, one Savior, over and over again in different ways throughout VBS. We stress that all humans are of the same race, that we're all one family. Scientifically, biologically, biblically, there is one race of humans. One quote I read said that race is a social construct derived mainly from perceptions conditioned by events of recorded history. It has no basis in biological reality. The idea of differing races is a social construct derived of our own selfishness, of our own pridefulness, of our own arrogant thoughts. Throughout time and location, the reality of race and racism has changed depending on culture and historical context. Ugly, godless American racism is based on the differing color of one's skin. Often European racism is based on your heritage. My Hispanic pastor friend Martin, who was born and raised in Mexico, said to me that the racism that he saw there growing up was against the indigenous people. The less Spanish you looked, the more indigenous you looked, 
the more prejudice you would have to deal with. I just recently saw an article on the BBC website titled, Miss India Contest Criticized for Lack of Diversity. All the finalists were fair-skinned Indians, which doesn't represent at all the rich color diversity of the actual population of India. One article I read about Japan said that for Japanese people, racial discrimination is an inconvenient truth. And most Japanese do not want to believe it exists in their society because they've been told there is only one race in Japan. Other ethnic Asians often have to deal with real prejudice and limited housing, limited education opportunities. Why? Because they're not Japanese. Do you see it? Race and racism is an issue that spans the globe. It roars its ugly head in differing ways throughout differing cultures. The sinful pride of mankind knows no ethnic boundary. Racism is sin that affects the whole earth. All of mankind. All of us. So let's take a moment this morning and look at some of the specifics that prove to us that our VBS was right. That every human is part of the incredible race. That we're all one family, one race. That we're all precious in His sight. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white. Let's first go back to that quote that I read. It said that race is a social construct derived mainly from perceptions conditioned by events of recorded history. It has no basic biological reality. Race... Racism has no biological reality. For example, if there, if, if one were to take any two people anywhere from around the world, scientists have found that the basic genetic difference between these two people would typically be about 0.2%, even if they're from the same people group. That means that we as humans are 99.8% the same. So if you took any two people right now sitting here today and matched us up biologically, we would be 99.8% the same. Then, if you took each one of us and matched us with a different person in a different culture all throughout the world, you know what? We would be 99.8% the same. Why? Because we're one race. And if you just consider the so-called racial characteristics, the things that people think are the major differences, like skin color and, and hair color and eye shape and these kind of things that we often separate each other over, they account for only 0.012% of human biological variation. So when it comes to comparing just the ethnic diversity characteristics, we're actually 99.988% the same. Do you see it? There's no such thing as different races. Scientifically and biologically, there's one race, the human race, and we're all equally a part of it. That is not a small fact. That can't just be dismissed. The scientific and biological truth is that God created one race. 
the human race. Now, there's wonderful ethnic diversity in the midst of our one race. There's amazing differing beauty in the midst of our one race. I heard there are over 4,000 different uh, shades of skin tone. I think actually that number is much, much higher than that. The many differing shades of skin tone are just one of a number of ways that God has created diversity within the human race. Diversity is part of God's creativity. I told this story on Friday night as well, but when I was a youth pastor in Indiana, I took our kids to help uh, the VBS on the south side of Chicago to an African-American church and the African-American community. It was a great experience. We were able to serve them and their VBS, and they taught us so much. On uh, one day during our VBS, only two blocks away was Lake Michigan. So we took all the kids to go swimming in Lake Michigan. And all of a sudden, I started to notice this commotion, right? All these people talking and looking at me. That moment, I took off my shirt, right, to get ready to go in to the water. And they're all going. This woman's laughing at me going, I didn't know white people came that white. We got into Lake Michigan. The fish are swimming all around, right? They're passing by everybody. Everybody from their church, everybody from our church, except me. They are nibbling on my legs, which only further confirmed to everybody's laughter that the fish had never seen anything so white. (laughs) Our ethnic diversity is part of what makes each one of us unique. And part of what unites all the differing shades of us together as one race, one humanity, one family. Now, this is kind of a weird illustration. I used this again on Friday night. But but I think it's a great illustration. If you think of all the differing shapes and sizes and colors of chickens. Now, have you ever been to the chicken barn at at the Canfield Fair? I look forward to going to the chicken barn every year. If you've never been to the chicken barn, after today, when you go to the Canfield Fair, guess what you're going to do? You're going to go through that chicken barn because it's amazing. I can remember the first time I went through the chicken barn a few years ago. I was really floored. I had never seen anything like this at all. All the differing kinds of chickens, the colors and the plumes and the, the feathers. The, it was amazing. Different shapes and sizes and the, the, the beauty of it all. In the great family of chickens, there's amazing diversity. God's creativity is on display in the species of chickens. So amazing and so beautiful. See, that's how God creates In the great similarities within species, there's always an array of wonderful variety. I was thinking perhaps uh, this morning, if chickens aren't your thing, right? Maybe you're a dog lover and you can think of all the variety of dogs. That's how God creates. So it is with us, the human race. So it is. There's such inherent biological similarities that make us one family. And yet, 
at the same time, there's an amazing array of wonderful variety that brings out all of our ethnic and cultural diversity. It's beautiful. I heard a pastor once say, we're not to be colorblind. We're to recognize that we are color blessed. We are all equally one race, one family, but the beauty of our diversity is to be enjoyed. It's to be celebrated. It's to be heralded because God created humankind as one race and one family, but with this amazing beauty and variety to be rejoiced in. It's time for us as Christians to stand up and to speak out loud the message of the truth of God and His Word. Racism and prejudice is wrong and sinful and illogical because we're one race and one family. The Bible has been clearly proclaiming this for millennia. Let's look at two specific ways that the Bible teaches us we're one race. First of all, we all have the same parents. In Acts 17, 26, it says that God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Another translation puts it this way, that God made from one blood every nation of mankind. The Bible teaches that all of humankind comes from the same ancestors. We are all related. We're family. We are one blood. We're all related in one family through our first parents, Adam and Eve. So think about this. Racism against another person is racism against a member of your own family. How foolish is that? Second, humankind was created by God to be totally unique because God gave humankind His image. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Humanity's self-consciousness, our decision-making and feelings and understanding, our sense of morality and beauty and justice, our yearning for the eternal, for the transcendent beyond our humanity, all point to a very important truth, that we are made in the image of God. One of the greatest arguments against the false theory of evolution is this unique reality of humans. That we are beauty-loving, morality-driven, transcendent, yearning, self-conscious humans. Humans are the unique creation of God. Because we're made in the image of God. Genesis chapter 2 describes it as the very breath of God giving us an eternal soul. Each and every human carries equal and immense worth Because we are made in the image of God. It's an important sentence. Each and every human carries equal and immense worth because we are all made in the image of God. We are one race, one humankind, because we're all family, we're all related through our common ancestors. And we are one race, one humankind, because we're all created in the image of God with the dignity and value and purpose As image bearers, the Bible is clear on the truth that we're one race, one family. All the constructs we make 
to try to say that one human is better than another are wrong. Think about this. Racism is an attack on God. Racism is an attack on God's plan, God's creativity, and God's purpose. God purposefully created humankind with a beautiful array of diversity, each one in his own image. Thus, to have any prejudice against anyone is wrong because it's against God and his plan and his word. But there's another truth we must consider here this morning. For us as a church, God's plan for the church. God has specifically designed the gathering of believers together for worship and the word to exemplify the truth that we are one race, one family. The church is to illustrate this truth that all of humanity is one race and one family. It's powerfully clear that God wants his church to span the globe, encompassing all tribes and languages and people and nations and ethnicities and cultures. Now, the early church had to learn this. God had to directly teach the early church this truth. They struggled at first to see God's heart, to see God's plan. Early Christianity was obviously made up of what? All ethnic Jewish people. Jesus was an ethnic Jew. And so were all of his closest followers. They were Jewish. After Jesus' death and resurrection, as the church started to grow and to flourish, they were trying to put all this together, what Jesus had told them. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. All nations and make disciples. Go to Jerusalem. Yeah, go to Judea. Yeah, go to Samaria. Yeah, go to the end of the earth with the gospel. But the early church needed some direct intervention from God to help them understand God's plan and to get moving in fulfilling God's heart. We see that direct intervention recorded for us in Acts chapter 10, where God literally sets up a meeting that changes everything. So if you have your Bibles, please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Follow along as I read this amazing account for God opened up the eyes and the heart of the early church for all people, for every nation. We're just going to let the word of God teach us. As we read this amazing passage, In Acts chapter 10, starting at verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. What are you supposed to hear there? A Gentile, a Roman, a foreigner. Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God. And all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius? And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended to as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. 
He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had, dis- had departed, he called two of his deser- servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, about noon, to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by an holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up! I too am a man. And he, and he talked with him and, and went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or, or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for you, I came without objection. I asked, then why have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind, kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone 
who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Let's hear that again. Peter said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Beloved, that was like a massive, megaton, theological explosion of biblical truth that is still reverberating in waves throughout our whole world today. God shows no partiality. God wants people of every nation, anyone, everyone to come to him, to know him. It took the direct revelation of God, but it changed everything for the early church. From that day forward, the church of Jesus Christ would never again be associated with one ethnic group, with one people, with one nation. No, the church was the first institution ever on planet earth where your ethnicity, your nation, your culture did not matter. Anyone from anywhere, any color, shape, or size, any language, any nation, any heritage, any economic status, any social status, any ethnicity at all, all, all coming together equally as one in Christ. The church, the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be the place on planet earth where the fundamental equality of all people is found and lived out and thrives. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.11 says, There is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Uh, The primary identity of our life is not our heritage. The primary identity of our life is not our language. It's not our nation. It's not our people. The primary identity of every Christian is Jesus Christ. Being in Him. The greatest identity we could ever have above and beyond all descriptions that could be given to us on this earth is that we are in Christ. Christ is our distinctiveness. We are one in Christ. Christ is all and in all. That truth changed everything. That truth changed everything. How the church interacted with other people. The very purpose of the church is supposed to destroy racism, destroy prejudice. The very purpose of the church is to unite all nations in Christ and for Christ and because of Christ, regardless of our ethnic differences. This was and still is a radical truth, a powerful expression of God's heart, of His love, of His truth, of His plan. Paul's letter to the Gentile church in Ephesus, he goes on and on teaching about this 
equality of all people in the church. In Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, it says, Therefore, remember at one time, you Gentiles, in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commands that expressed in the ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and He preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access to one Spirit, to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God broke down the dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles, killing the hostility, creating for Himself one body, reconciling us through the cross of His Son. Folks, God has broken down every dividing wall between every ethnic group to create for Himself one body, reconciling us all through the cross of His Son. So now, all followers of Christ from every tribe and language and nation, everywhere, we're all fellow citizens. We're all members of the household of God. We're all joined together as one holy temple, one body in the Lord. It's radical. The church, our church, is supposed to be the least racial or prejudiced place on earth. Because that's God's heart. That's God's word. That's God's expectation. We must wrest the sin of prejudice from our hearts. We must deal with our pride and arrogance. There is no place in the church of Jesus Christ for any type of racism or prejudice. Not only that, but we must intentionally and purposely reach out to people who are not like us with the gospel and with the love of Jesus Christ and his church. Because that's what the church is all about. Jesus said in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You see, churches are supposed to be a picture of heaven. Churches are supposed to be a little picture of heaven. Listen now, the apostle John described heaven in Revelation 7-9. He says, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. A great multitude that no one could number. 
What? From every nation. Where? From all tribes and peoples and languages. Heaven is the most ethnically diverse place ever. That's the way God designed it. That's the way God wants it. And that's his expectation for the church of Jesus Christ, his body. The local expression of the universal body of Christ was designed by God to reflect his heart, his love, and his plan for all of humankind. So search your heart today. If you find within your heart any racism or prejudice there, confess it. Bring it to the Lord and forsake it. And ask God to help you to see with his eyes. First Samuel 16.7 says, For the Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. We're all part of the incredible race, the human race. We're all one family, one race, one Savior. Our great God has made us one race, one blood, one family with one Savior, Jesus, who redeemed for himself a church to be one in love and to proclaim him. First John 4, 9 and 10 says, And this is love. This is how the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his son Jesus into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Perhaps you're sitting here today and you're not part of the family of God. Perhaps you've yet come face to face with the truth of Jesus Christ in your heart and your life. Well, the way to eternal life is through Jesus and because of Jesus the one and only Son, believing in Him, who He is, believing that He came to die as a sacrifice for your sin, confessing Him as the leader of your life, asking Him to be the forgiver of your life. Today can be your day to go from death to life, to go from outside to inside, the body of Christ, the church. In that same letter to the Ephesians, Paul wrote, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, now in this day, in this hour, we come to you to be honest. The sin of racism and prejudice spans the globe. It's in the heart of mankind. Perhaps our hearts. Perhaps us. Lord, we confess it. We confess it as sin. We confess it as evil. We confess it as an attack against you and your plan and your creativity and your love. We forsake it. And Lord, we pledge to be the church, the most racial-free, prejudice-free place on planet Earth, your church. 
Lord, we are one with you, and it's because of Christ in him that makes us one, your church. Lord, may us, not all the other places out there, not every other place, us, we're praying for just us right now, Poland Village Baptist Church, may we be the kind of church that you've called for, that you expect, that you designed us to be, to the glory of Jesus Christ, and for his name's sake. Amen.